Welcome back. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Brendan Hansen. I'm Jake Friedman. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. games. And today we are back with a What We Talk About episode, one of our fan favorite episode formats where we go deep into a topic in board games. And today that topic is combos. We've identified some different types of combos. Uh, There might be a little bit of a disagreement here or there between Brendan and I on those types. So we're going to talk about those, what fits into those, and then how combos affect decision space and some of our favorite combo games and combos within games. Brendan, how does that sound to you? It sounds perfect to me. Yes, decision space audience, Jake and I are just filthy trading card game junkies. And we're going to talk about combos and trading card games a lot today but we're also going to do our best to sort of frame and i think really orient this discussion in combos and board games as well and i think it'll it'll be interesting as we get into exploring the ways that sort of card games really facilitate combos and the ways in which board games also do that too and some of the, the differences there as well so we'll use lots of game examples in the later half of the show talking about some of our favorite combos of all time uh maybe play experiences that have really stuck with us and maybe even some combos that have really frustrated us, which is a, a real part of the combo experience as well. But I think combos are a, a meaningful part of a lot of the games that I love. Uh, so I'm excited, Jake, to have a sort of step back and have a philosophical conversation about combos and the role that combos play in games. And would it be an episode of Decision Space if we don't also talk about maybe how combos interact in fighting video games? And, and, and does that pour it over into board games as well? And I was just thinking now, Brendan, maybe... Maybe sports? Are there combos in sports? Oh, no. Stay tuned. (laughs) Stay tuned. We'll answer all that and more. But first, a little bit of housekeeping. The Golden Geek Awards are now accepting nominations. Uh, And once again, uh, by the time you're hearing this podcast, if you listen in the first week or so, they will still be open uh, for nominations. Editor's note. Nominations are open until April 23rd. So in order to nominate Decision Space for Best Podcast, which we are really encouraging you to do, we really want to grow this show, help get it in front of more people, you need to go over to boardgamegeek.com and submit a nomination. I'll include a link to that in the description of this podcast. In order to to do that, you have to have a Board Game Geek account and 20 Geek Gold to spend in order to make a nomination. If you don't have that 20 geek gold, uh, just let us know in the Discord and we will get you sorted. Uh, And thank you so much for considering doing this, spending a few moments to do this. It means the world to us and is, you know, even above the reviews, this this would just be transformative for our podcast, I think, if we get the nomination or one of the nominations. I think it's a major goal for Jake and I, sort of a dream to be nominated for these golden geeks and it would take the show to the next level truly so forget what i said about reviews homework this week (laughs) if you enjoy decision space it would go so such a far away actually if you're in the future reviews right now in this moment golden geeks please just take five minutes of your time nominate decision space for best podcast it would do so much to support the show uh so thank you that's good i like temporally diversifying who we're talking to future listeners and kind of like present listeners we got to keep it evergreen and then also yeah yeah. All right, Brendan, that is enough housekeeping. Let's get into our main topic today, what we talk about when we talk about combos. So Jake, I spent some time before starting this episode of trying to neatly define over the course of all games, tabletop games, video games, 
any games that exist, what is a combo? Uh, and I struggled to come up with like a very clean definition. So here's a take, and then you can break it apart. The creation of additional value in a game situation produced by a chain of actions or by the bringing together of two or more synergistic game elements. I think you're right. I think it's really hard to define neatly because I think a combo is sort of, it's it's an additive thing, but it is good to sort of define different components of it. So I really like we say two or more, right? A combo can't be just one thing in a vacuum, right? Obviously we know that that is not a combo. Like one really strong card that you play on the table, not a combo. Right, exactly. Uh, the the blue eyes white dragon in Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> not a combo. Not, not a combo, you know, yep. despite yep. what the anime show might lead us to believe. <laughs> I also think, right, there is absolutely this element of additional value, right? Yes. You're getting something beyond the text of just that card or the text of just that ability you're activating in order for it to be a combo. You have, you're getting something in addition to that. And we'll talk about kind of the ways that can manifest and you, you include it here too, uh, which would be, you know, a, a chain of actions, right? If once you do these two things, this third thing you get happens. And that third thing could be an extra action or it could be, you know, an, an extra point of damage, right? Yep. So I think that's get into these types of combos because we're sort of skirting around this idea, which is that there's like a few types of combos that we've identified that exist. And when we use the word combos to talk about combos and games, it can apply to like these few types of things. So one type that you see people discuss is combos that are chains of actions or cascading effects in a game. So you get to do something extra. So usually this means like you accomplish something in the game and then the game says, great, you accomplished this thing. Now you get to do multiple additional actions or gain these multiple additional benefits. You get extra value. So these are combos like in Gonchon's Clever, uh, where you fill in a box, that box lets you fill in another box, which lets you fill in another box, right? Fighting game combos, I think also fall into this bucket. I land a launcher or a combo starting move And then because I've taken a risk, I've landed this risky option, usually combo starters mean I have to take a risk. I then, if I succeed with that risk, get to do a bunch of follow-up moves for free. I get these sort of free benefits. So long as in those games, usually you can execute on the combo. Right, and I I think an important element there is that it's, uninteractable at that point right once once the combo has begun with this sort of action chain it continues and continues and continues until it sort of fizzles out uh, or runs out of momentum and that's the same in, in fighting games as it is in board games this is not a controversial bucket i think this is uh, probably something that's going to be really resonant and identifiable to anyone listening to this podcast who's played a bunch of board games and generally in a board game when somebody is you know you hear that people say like oh you're really comboing off i think most often it's this sort of uh, action chain where somebody all of a sudden gets to do a bunch of things yep all within one turn beyond what a normal turn looks like in that game totally we were discussing this in our discord and someone said these sorts of combos feel a lot like slot machine combos. And I think that slot machines, a form of games that don't have a lot of decisions, actually use these uh, sort of this moniker of like combo sometimes to talk about like a random chain of things that appears on the screen. And I think that that's sort of true, right? It's like the game giving you a dopamine hit of getting a lot all at once because some 
something was achieved. So maybe let's give a few examples of these. From our podcast, one of the games we've covered that's probably the most clear and present example of this would be Ganshan's Clever, which is the roll and write game where you're filling out boxes in five different colors. And as you complete certain areas of your board, your tick off boxes, uh, they will give you a bonus that allows you to tick off a box somewhere else. So as you begin to fill out more and more of your board, you can work towards turns where you mark off a blue that allows you to mark off a yellow, completing a yellow row that allows you to mark off a green, unlocking another bonus that gives you to unlock another blue, giving you a bonus that gets to unlock another yellow and so on and so forth. And, and all of a sudden, instead of a normal turn of just marking off one box, you get the equivalent of five turns all at once. And it just gives you this dopamine hit that feels amazing. Yeah. Rogers of the Ganges also has those similar like action chain cascading effects where you do this to do that, to do that, to do that. I, th I think a lot of roll and write games have actually gone to implementing this type of combo system. Trails of Tucana also comes to mind for me where you get these uh, draw another path actions where you might end up drawing another path that lets you connect something that lets you draw another path. And you have these sort of cascading effect action chains being this core element of these games that give exciting pacing and moments that end up being memorable. Yeah, it's also present in a lot of heavier Euro games too. This happens in Bonfire when you yeah. complete oh, one of that's the- Oh, that was my example. Oh, really? Nice. Yeah, yeah, so when you complete one of the neutral tasks, you get to do a whole nother bonus free action uh, that feels really satisfying and, and it you know, becomes this turn where you get to accomplish a lot more than you get to do in a normal turn. Uh, Teletum, which which uh, I played and, and covered briefly on this podcast, is another game like that where there there are these like people tile, and you put the people tile into onto your personal board, and every single one gives you an extra bonus. And then sometimes those bonuses allow you to move on the shared board and collect a bonus from the board, giving you some other ability to do something else, and it you know, it can really string together these these long sequence of actions. Yeah. And like you said, Jake, these are sort of like one type of combos that are really commonly seen in board games. But what's the, do you want to sort of maybe with that pivot into the next type of combos that you see? Yeah. Because I think that it's indisputable that people talk about these action chains and cascading effects like combos. But as someone who grew up playing a lot of card games, I think that this next type is what I think of first more often within the table swap space of combos. Yeah, so we're calling these standard augmented synergy combos. So, so standard augmented synergies. So this is when you have two or more cards or abilities that come together to create a benefit greater than the sum of its parts. So if you think of the action chains as X equals like X and Y, this would be more like one plus two equals five, sure. <laughs> if that makes any sense, right? Uh, so it's not, you're not just getting three, you're not just getting an extra action, but it's actually like those two actions are creating a more valuable sum. Yeah, totally. And to follow up on what you just said, the action chains could be like, if you do X, you get X, Y, Z. Yeah. And this this augmenting combos or might even call them like element matching combos because we're bringing together different game elements and matching them together in a way that there's extra synergy is more like X. And if you have X and Y, 
then you get X, Y, and Z. And obviously, in both these situations, there might be more things coming together, right? It's a combo isn't always a pair of thing. It could be three things or multiple things that come together, depending on what it is, to form this combo. And we'll get into that more later too, right? There's like a scale of uh, how difficult a combo is and the payoff within a game and all of that to talk about. But I think these are two really primary ways in which combos get used. Let's do a concrete example here, like from an actual board game that that you think fits in to this. That fits into this specifically from an actual board game. Yeah. Okay. So one potential combo that came to mind of uh, this type of like synergy augmentation or element matching is an innovation, this card game by Carl Chudik. In the very first round of that game, you're trying to get lots of cards that accelerate you. This is a game, it's a racing game where you're trying to race ahead and get further in these ages than other players. So you can bring this, this is a really simple one. It just creates a little bit of extra value, but there's this card that's called the wheel. It says draw two ones, it's two one value cards. And there's a card that says tools that says you may return three cards from your hand. If you do draw and meld a three. Um, So there's this little bit of synergy here where the wheel lets you draw extra cards and the tools, tools card wants you to have lots of cards combine those and you're going to more quickly get to having these th- cards of age three in your tableau than the opponent. So it's like this simple little combo that comes together and creates some value for you. Question. Yes. So I, what you just described is sort of like a found, I think a really interesting case of like a found combo, but it doesn't say bring these two pieces together, right? Like if you have the tools, you also get this. It's right. It's just like an inherent synergy of them working together to enhance each other. Yes. Do you think that the other case is still fitting in with in in this category? So for example, I recently had a game night at the end of the night we played a quick game of Fantasy Realms. It was mm-hmm. my first time playing this game and that is a game of very like explicit combos. Uh so you could have a card in your hand that says like for each other beast card in your hand gain plus 5 points. So it would you think that having that Maybe it's the knight card. I don't know what the name of the card. The knight card that gives you. If plus you put a knight and a horse bees. together, yeah, yeah, does that count as a augmented yes, totally. synergy combo? It's just how the game is presenting those effects, right? Mm-hmm. And let's say just one step further, when I, in that particular game, I got a card that was like wildfire, and then another card. No, it was it was like storm, and then another card that was like lightning. And storm mm. like explicitly said, if you also have lightning, get plus thirty points. And I just wow. got dealt both of them in my starting hand. So I was like, man, this game is easy. Wombo. <laughs> yeah. Is, do you think, is that also still a combo, even though it does include specific pairing language? Absolutely. I think yes. But I do think that they're slightly different in how you experience them and they're slightly different. But absolutely, yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. We're on the same page. So then let's talk about this next one. Okay. So the last one, and this is the one that there, there was... Uh, a little bit of a discussion between Brendan and myself about whether this should be its own category or fit within the augmenting synergy combos. So I'd love for listeners to kind of weigh in what they think on this. But my case is that this is sort of a third separate group that that feels distinct enough to warrant its own uh, categorization. And, and we're calling it the synergy exploit combo. So and that's this- exploit in terms of like make full use of something. Right, you like not necessarily yeah. like cheat, like make not, not cheat. exploit it in making full use of it. Yeah, yeah, like you're exploiting some certain aspect 
of the game, whether that's a specific card or kind of like edge case interaction. And the result of this type of combo is that once it is carried out, once you complete succeed in achieving a combo of this type, you either win the game immediately or otherwise put the game out of reach by becoming so far ahead. And I think that these combos have distinct characteristics uh, that make them separate, not just because of that uh, outcome, uh, whereas the other type of combos give you some small advantage by achieving them, but don't necessarily win you the game outright. Uh, so that that's a distinction. But I think another distinction is that often these type of combos require a lot more initial investment so that if you are able to achieve them, uh, you win. But if you don't achieve them, you're very likely to go, going to lose, right? It's sort of an all or nothing uh, type case. So it's a, a high, high setup cost, high reward. And I think that interaction between the two creates a very different type of decision space when attempting to go for something like this when compared to a normal, a more standard com combo of like a, a synergy or an action chain that you sort of are going for, you know, and maybe you'll go out of your way to, to some extent to to achieve but they can sort of come a, a, along over like the standard course of play i think what jake is getting at too is that in the previous types of combos you might have lots of different elements within in your strategy that can mix and match to create added value like you're bringing together all these objects that roughly work together and in this type of combo this like exploit combo it's all about designing your entire strategy around a really powerful combo that narrows your decision space such that your deck or your your strategy has very little flexibility. You do this and you win, or you don't do it and you lose. This takes the form of like OTK decks, one turn kill decks, as they're called in like Magic the Gathering, or these hugely set up investing combos are all about taking your entire strategy and forcing something really specific. So Jake, do you want to talk about an explicit example of something like this? Yes. So the reason I thought about this was because uh, originally the notes only included the first two types. And I was thinking about my favorite all-time combo deck in Magic the Gathering, which didn't to me fit into either category. And that is this card is a combo called the Goblin Charbelcher deck. And Goblin Charbelcher is a card in Magic that is an artifact. It costs four. You can pay three to activate it and when you activate it you discard cards from the top of your deck dealing one damage for each one to your opponent until you reveal a land card and the way that this combo deck worked as i played it back in the day in mirrodin standard uh, was that you would play a deck that included only four lands uh, so it's really exploiting the uh deck building flexibility that Magic Gathering offers you to, you know, play with as many or as little lands as you want. So in order to actually get this four cost card out, you would just use uh, all of the mana creating abilities that existed essentially in the set. So there are a lot of that cost two uh, that you can tap for one extra. Uh, there's There was a card called, um, it, it was like box something, 
I can't remember the exact name, but it was a zero cost card that when you played it, you would remove a card from your hand and then it would tap for that. So it's kind of another free land. And there were some other ways too to get additional mana. It it reliably could get this card out on turn three or four. uh, And then if you got lucky, kill on the subsequent turn. So that card is called Chrome Mox. I just want don't want to leave it hanging. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So it is interesting because it's it is kind of a one card thing, right? You're not well, really you're you're not really doing a, a bunch of comboing on your turn when you you know achieve this combo off payoff turn. All you're doing is like using one card, but in order to achieve that, you have to uh, like augment that synergy with literally everything else in your deck. It's just all pointing towards this one exploit uh, that exists within the game. And to me, that that feels different than just like, oh yeah, I've got you know the lightning and the rainstorm card. And I think to me, it, this is an example of like a very intricate web of synergies of these like augmenting the power of this one goblin charblet charbelcher charbelcher card (laughs) with i I stopped playing at this point with uh with all of these other support cards right so you need this chrome mox card that you can get in for free and you need all those other um mana rocks that are cheap that can tap for mana to enhance increase the power of that one card the synergy of this low uh cost mana that's not created by lands and the goblin charbelcher wanting you to not have lands in your deck comes together to create this very powerful combo so we that's i think we won't sort of rehash our conversation that we had offline in hopes of moving on to fruitful eight like fields of more discussion on combos but i think for me i view this as like a edge case of the previous version so yeah like let us know what you think. And it, it kind of highlights too, you know, there's other examples that come to mind for me where within, you know, I played a lot of fighting games, uh, fighting video games in my life. And there's some characters and Jake has too, where those characters are all about sort of setting up these uh, regular sort of B&B uh, bread and butter combos where you want to like hit these, they're fairly safe to try to land combos they'll give you a fair amount of reward you're playing really safely you're not taking too many risks and you're trying to just hit the opponent maybe 10 to 20 times in a match and then there's other characters where it's more about okay it's going to be really hard to land this combo but if i can land one or two of these combos on you and set up these really specific situations i just take these really large risks and hope it pays off once or twice and then you're going to be in trouble and I think it highlights for me this like spectrum of how these like augmented synergies or combos can work together. But yeah. it's all this like interconnected slurry of combo language use. Sure. And one more way to sort of draw a small distinction between the, the three groups. Uh, and I want to credit Up Manatee on our Discord, who is really instrumental in putting these notes together and, and, and coming up with the framework for this show. So for, for the first case, uh, up Manny described them like this. So the first case would be effects or actions that chain into each other. The second case is one or more cards have a direct effect on each other, making the output greater than the sum of its parts. And the third case is playing a card in a very specific context of some larger setup or strategy that makes it stronger than it is on its own. Perfect. Love it. Okay. Woo. I feel like we're like, we are in the weeds and I loved it, but I think at this point it will be beneficial to the conversation to take a step back and talk about combo games more generally. And then we can let that previous conversation inform the conversation once it's sunk in a little bit. 
So let's shift to like a conversation around what are some of the best aspects of combo games and some of the worst aspects of combo games. I think kind of will highlight like a conversation of like why are combos great and are they why are they in some games and why aren't they in all games? Like why don't we see them? Why aren't they a cornerstone of every game designed if they're so great? So for me, the best aspect of combo games are well, okay, the number one aspect is creativity. Combos are fun because the potential of combos in a game space, in a decision space, leaves room for players to experience creativity. That's especially true of that second type of combos, those uh, sort of synergy augmenting combos or element matching combos, where there's, there's these pieces within the decision space, and it's up to the players to go find them, identify that they should be put together, and putting them together. And I think that that's a really fun way to play a game that is really rewarding when it happens. Uh, and even the execution of that happening could be fairly rare, which leads to these really memorable moments. I think we can all remember times where it's like, you see that a combo is possible, and it's like, wow, I can't even believe the game facilitates an interaction or an outcome like that. That's so cool. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that is really fun. And it's also points for those sort of discovered combo, like implicit combos that exist within your game, more so than the explicit ones, right? Right. When I got the lightning and storm cards together in my opening hand of fantasy realms that was not that it was it was nice right i was excited when i saw that but also there was no creativity or discovery there it just existed as as a combo uh whereas you know in in some other games like your innovation example it's more satisfying i find in you know and i think it makes uh, it's more beneficial to a robust decision space when when your combos are implicit. I think that this I think is really it's also harder to design that way. Yeah, I think this is a really important and interesting distinction. So maybe we should dally on this point for a minute. Uh, because the benefit of explicit combos, right? The fantasy realm style combo or the the like a game will just tell you, right? Maybe it's a fighting game that says you can do this and then follow it up with this. That's right. great because or like Ganshan Clever, like those those combos yep. are just there on your board, waiting for you to claim them or not. Totally, right? Those are great because they're really beginner friendly, right? It's easy to learn. I don't have to invest tons of time exploring the game's decision space, learning every element of the game, and I can still have an experience. I can experience the joy of like creating additional value by pairing these game elements together. I get like the upside without maybe some of the downside, which is that. Uh, players who've played the game longer will have an inherent advantage within a game with lots of combos because their knowledge of that space is going to make it easier for them to leverage the benefits of combos. I think that's a really important point that the existence of powerful implicit combos is something that raises the skill floor much higher than others, right? Because that is just an inherent advantage to the players who are aware of those combos going to the game. So something like like uh, Blood Rage or whatever comes to mind as something that has a lot of these implicit synergies and combos that exist uh, that maybe the first time through people are are going to overlook as they are just like having to read the cards and, and what they say. Uh, yep. you know, Magic the Gathering draft or whatever is, is another uh, good example of that. I also wanted to say the explicit combos and the action chain combos doesn't mean that the skill ceiling is lower because there can still be tremendous depth and discoverability and identifying the best way 
to navigate that those combos Puzzles. right yeah. like in Ganshan, clever and more experienced player find you know is able to take advantage of more of those through like skillful dice selection over the course of the game but it, but they aren't totally guarded off like a totally novice inexperienced player is still going to get to do some comboing off a lot of times too those combos test slightly different skills around timing right you know you'll get this benefit so when is the best time to employ that benefit like you're you're trying to gauge I could use it now and fill in these things, but maybe I'll get other rewards or other access to other game, uh, basically agency that will make it such that I should wait to do this. But if I wait, maybe I'm preventing myself from getting this other reward. So it's about timing when to use it explicitly. And also identifying the cost benefit analysis of, is this worth Uh, it? Yes, I get to get this additional benefit, but my you know, the the heart of my strategy where I'm getting the most points is actually coming from this other avenue. So perhaps I it's better to forego this additional action over here in this case and, and just continue to sort of uh, bolster a different aspect of the game. I think right. that like the, like, the, like in Bonfire, for example, it may be good to go get the the uh, extra benefit now but potentially you're going to forego something else that you you really need more totally no that's a great point jake it's so interesting um the other so going back to the sort of best aspects of combo games i think for me another awesome aspect of combo games when you know the combos exist like the blood rage problem right is like your first time through you just don't know what combos exist so you can't bring them together so in that case there's no tension but when you know they exist then there's lots of tension around, am I going to this, this, like the question of a combo game becomes, am I, as my opponent going to be able to pull off this combo? Sure. And that creates like all this potential that's really exciting of like, is this going to happen? Is this going to happen? I'm working towards it. I'm working towards it. Oh, yeah. I got it to happen. I have this big turn. How exciting. And maybe blood, blood rage isn't always the best example. Cause a lot of times it's like, yeah, if you take all the cards that say Loki on them, you're pretty far <laughs> along that path. <laughs> There's some other though. There I have are, an there example are. for there, later in the yeah, show. Yeah, I know. Yeah. 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 I, I feel like that's the, the first tier of in Blood Rage because that's kind of like the explicit. Like they're all right. labeled Loki. They'll probably or Odin or whatever. Sure. But there's some good ex- implicit ones too. Oh, the yeah. final thing is why are combos fun? Because like making stuff is fun. Creating value is fun. And doing stuff is fun. Right? It's like so simple, but I just wanted to say that combos are fun because getting to do stuff in games are fun. And typically combos just let you do more stuff all at once. So it's just a, a dopamine hit that's exciting. Yeah, there's science behind Candy Crush being like this like global phenomenon in like the 2010s or whatever, you know, and it's it's has to do with these uh, endorphin triggering combo action change. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. Not even that you control. They just happen in front of you. Like a slot yeah. yeah. Ooh, that was... Yeah, yeah. The the video game, like, Tetris element of it or the Candy Crush element of it is fun, too, because, like, there's something there where it's, like, you're getting stuff that you couldn't even possibly see. And that even exists in uh, some board games, like uh, Potion Explosion is a good example of that, where you're trying to take out uh, po- uh, a marble from a track to cause marbles of the same color to crash into each other and when that happens you remove more and more fall out of the top so sometimes you get these like extra marbles that you couldn't have even known you were going to get because the right color is kind of filtered out of the top of the dispersing tray I, yeah i love that 
so then shifting towards the worst aspect of combo games, I think these probably will come to mind for people quickly because we've all been on the losing side of someone pulling together an awesome combo. And sometimes that can feel like a really negative experience. Maybe it's a combo that takes in a card game that takes five minutes, 10 minutes, God forbid, 20 minutes to execute in a tournament setting. I've experienced it. It's not fun. It feels bad. Yeah. And sometimes yeah, so explicitly the time, you know, the time element can feel bad. And the fact which which I think speaks to me the larger point that the combos are by their very nature non-interactive, right? Once you're getting comboed, whether it's a video game or a board game or whatever, you're stuck there until you're watching. Yeah, until it fizzles out. Yep. Yeah. And you know, the the flip side, when someone gets to have a, a highly like uh, exciting moment, someone else is probably suffering a little bit. And I think that another aspect is that combos, if maybe designed poorly or maybe designed well, it's hard to say, uh, can ju- they're just high variance, right? Like part of creating exciting combos is that sometimes it can mean they're really hard to bring together, which means that it's not going to happen as often. And when that happens, sometimes depending on the design, that can feel like the other player got really lucky which I think that one of the downsides of combo games is that balancing combos can be really difficult. Striking that edge between bringing these elements together and there's interesting decisions around bringing those elements together and you just get really lucky and the length of a game is all really tough and part of the reason why I think we don't always see combos in games because they can be really difficult to balance. In a quick game like Fantasy Realms, it's okay if you just get dealt the storm and the lightning card and you get this amazing 30-point turn dealt to you in your hand and you just got it in a hour and a half two hour long game that feels really bad for the players who don't get dealt those cards so that's that's something to consider and i think uh something that board games have to work towards figuring out and solving that design problem when they're including combos uh of high reward or high output in in the game i think there are probably really interesting discussions to be had about whether or not these like exploitative combos especially are good for a game or not because like going back to my example of the goblin char belcher deck it it, being on the losing side of that isn't very fun because it's just not interacting with the game of magic in a way that the other deck is interacting with and being on the losing side as the goblin char belcher player Again, it could be like really unsatisfying because like you only have four lands in your deck. So maybe you just don't draw any, right? You mulligan down to four and don't see a land. So you just sit there and, and die without playing anything. Or, I can't believe you played this deck. Or you have uh, all of four of your goblin char belchers are, you know, in the bottom 10 cards of your deck after shuffle. Uh, and again, there's there's nothing you can really do there. So in, in either case, like win or lose, it's it's going to be a really bad experience for somebody when compared to like a normal, more interactive game of Magic the Gathering. So in, in today, and, and that's in the very like niche case of Magic the Gathering where people are only playing this game and like going to tournaments where they're going to play, you know, 20 games of Magic in a single mm. day. Where if, when you're talking about like today's like modern age of board games where most games are, you know, getting tabled just a handful of times. Mm. I could absolutely see players and designers not wanting, you know, one of those few opportunities to feel like it, it was, you know, devolved into this uh, combo thing. And and I also think a lot of times when people are, you know, house rule stuff in games, it could often be sort of combo pieces that are 
perceived as too powerful or mm. or an uh, aspect of the game that players feel is like too easy to exploit with a combo. Yeah. Um, and I would say like one of my favorite games is Bruges and even my group uh, kind of plays with our own house rule that if the astronomer card is is drawn, we don't play it as a, a character into a house. We could we just use it uh, for one of the other abilities because it does feel like that can be pretty degenerate in that game. It's it's an interesting case because it's an augmenting synergy where every time you play another character card into a house, uh, you get to activate its one time effect twice. So mm. it's like an augmenting synergy, but it is an augmenting synergy that's very powerful and synergizes with like roughly a third of the deck. Yeah. So it's just broadly incredibly powerful. Right. Yeah. Yep. It's kind of like, yeah, it's it's one of those, it's a weird thing where it just feels like too synergistic with the Everything. game mechanisms yeah. as a whole compared to the, you know, power level of other synergies that exist within that system. Yep. And to explain my interjection about Jake, me being shocked Jake played that goblin char belcher deck jake is like the most i would say like considered efficient player these days so it's so shocking that playing as a teenager playing magic he was playing this like zany off the wall like risk it all combo deck but i thought it was exciting and i was 12 years old so there you go change yep i think that sort of as we pivot maybe some things that we'll talk briefly about like things designers have to consider when making games with combos in them or ways that game elements can exist um and i hope that listeners you'll excuse us we've talked about magic a lot in this episode we're going to use magic the gathering as an example here so i think it's really particularly rich um and if you've never played magic before you should just know that one of the primary things in that game are creatures who have types uh and a lot of times combos within that game look at the creatures that exist for a given player and the type that that creature is, uh, which is just like a label or an element that that card has that makes it interactable with other things. And you're trying to make those things more powerful, typically within the game. Um, So I think that what I'm trying to get at here, Jake, is the sort of game elements, whether they're cards in a game of Magic the Gathering or pieces or moves within a game uh, that you can take. There's like roughly four ways that those can exist. One is that they could be like completely non-synergistic. They don't affect other things and they're not affected by other things. So in the context of Magic the Gathering, this might be like a 2-2 bear that in that environment, nothing else cares that it's a bear. It's just like a card that exists. The bear commander players are coming for you. Yeah, but we're just, we're saying in this environment, those cards don't exist. (laughs) But yeah, totally. And then, uh, then things could be synergistic, right? So it's like an elf where in this environment, it boosts, it's an elf that boosts other elves. A lord, an elf lord. An elf lord, right. It's a synergistic card. So it itself is an elf and it's boosting other elves. So you it might say give plus one, plus one to all elves. elves. Great. And makes you, it's an elf that makes you want more elves within your deck. So it could also be synergistic, but itself doesn't create synergies, right? So that would be like of an elf that is just an elf. It doesn't create new synergies, but if you have that other elf lord that we were just talking about that boosts other elves, it is synergistic. So maybe this is uh, a lock and that previous card is a key within a combo, right? It is being unlocked, being made more powerful uh, by having that previous card. And then the final version is like something that itself isn't synergistic or augmentable, but it creates them. So this is like an enchantment that makes all elves more powerful, but it itself isn't being affected by that card in any way. 
yeah, or other elves, right? The, right? the elf lord that gives plus one, plus one to all elves is not giving plus one, plus one to this elf enhancing enchantment. Right. That maybe says if you all elves gain tap to add two mana to your mana, mana pool or something. Right. Yeah, I, I think these are great examples, Brendan. And I think if people aren't familiar with magic, they the same type of framework exists in all collectible card games and dueling card games. Uh, and and beyond that as well and into the board game sphere so i think definitely relevant another thing that designers might have to think about a lot right is like how difficult or easy is it to to bring combos together in a game Um, and because of the answer to this question combo games can typically start to feel like games about card draw and card efficiency or like efficiency in general right like if there's a really powerful combo that when you get it you win the game all of a sudden, the whole decision space starts to look towards, well, what could I do to make that more likely? Maybe there's all these other ways to interact with in, in the game, but it, instead I start focusing on, I'm just going to look at how I can most efficiently draw cards or get access to these objects rather than interact with my opponents, because if I do that, I'll just win anyway. So instead of thinking about you, I'll think about affecting my path in the game. So that's like a lever that some that designers have to think about. Yeah, absolutely. And deck construction games generally offer such an interesting tool for this uh, that can facilitate all these different types of synergies and non-synergies well, because if I'm an elf deck player, like I can choose not to bring that bear into my deck compared to a game like a deck building game like Star Realms, where you have the same type of synergies existing there, but all the cards are always going to be sort of in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now as a designer, you know, how, how do you dole those out in a way that feels satisfying to players to be able to pull off interesting combos, uh, but at the same time, <laughs> you're, you're not uh, guaranteed to be seeing them uh, or, or, you know, be able to interact with them because... Maybe they don't come out of the deck or maybe your opponent is able to claim that card before you can. Yeah. And I think that's why within board games, we so often see these sort of game elements that end up being more broadly synergistic, right? Like this, this thing will work really well with this strategy and it will work pretty well with this strategy and it will work okay with this strategy. Whereas in card games, sometimes you have game objects or game elements like cards that are sort of like this card is for this strategy and it does nothing for any of the other ones. Right. And the difference there is that in card games, you can just at least deck designing card games, deck building card games. You can just say deck construction. Yeah. yeah. Deck construction. I'm just not going to play with that card. Whereas in board games, it's always a part of the game. So it sort of has to work no matter the game case that comes out. Mm -hmm. And in board games, I think it, to me, it can feel very unsatisfying when, two synergistic cards like purely synergistic cards happen to come together in one player's hand or or ability to get them you know when there's also the existence of of like non-synergies right i think we've all sort of been uh in in games where you sort of get the feeling as you're thinking through your own decision space like dang it like none of the cards i'm getting really go together uh whereas my opponent is you know, happen to just draw and get a, a lot of stuff there synergizing really well. I think this is a criticism that comes out in a lot of these extremely popular engine building tableau mm. games like yep. Terraforming Mars and Ark Nova, where 
there's just such a big deck of cards and there's a lot of really interesting synergies that work together really well. Like maybe in Arc Nova, you're trying to get a bunch of monkeys to, uh, to, to go towards some type of achievement and you've started with two and then just over the course of the game, no more monkeys come out of the deck that you have access to. Uh, so you've sort of started down this, this path that is ultimately unsatisfying sort of for reasons outside of your control where you're looking across the table and your opponent is just reptiles falling out of their pockets to be really specific about why that is and i think that's a really interesting observation jake is that within the deck construction games typically you've made a concession you've paid a cost within deck building right you've narrowed your decision space just like we talked about you're bringing in tools that are usually less flexible combo tools combo pieces because if you can get them together you'll get a really powerful output so you've paid an upfront cost of losing flexibility and you've made a decision as a player before the game that when you get those together, it just sort of feels like, yeah, that's what you were expecting. And you designed your decision space around that. Whereas in the second one, no one makes a concession. It's just like someone kind of lucked into it. So it's experienced by players on either sides of the table really differently, right? Like in the card game, it's like if you bring those together and you design the deck, it's like, I'm a genius. Whereas in a board game, it's sort of <laughs> like if it's raining reptiles, you're like, this feels great, but I got pretty lucky. Um, right. And the flip side on the other side is sort of like in the TCG, it's sort of like, wow, I can't believe that combo deck actually worked, but like kudos for making that work. Whereas on maybe in the board game, it's sort of like, wow, you got really lucky. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe you got really lucky. We should probably like ban that card now. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I think there's a way to fix that too, right? It's about how many things are synergistic within the game. Maybe a way to solve that problem with Arc Nova is like there's animal types and species types and there's synergies that affect species and animals and like you get a greater benefit. Yeah. To be ex extremely clear, I'm not saying that Arc Nova is not balanced. Or and I've not the, played it, so. Yeah, or that the uh, more skilled person isn't very Winning. likely to win that game. I know people who have played it a lot will strongly say even if your opponent's getting more synergies, like there's still ways that you can outmaneuver and win the game. And I think we're talking mostly right now about player experience of those things, yeah. which isn't is often emotional, which is a part of combos. Right. You definitely wire. see that criticism out and about in these types of games too, yeah. um, which I think is fair. Yeah. Well, let's just really highlight one last time this like amazing observation that you made earlier that maybe within board games for designers, one way to think of if you're thinking about trying to design a game with combos and you're designing a board game, maybe leaning towards the explicit side is a good way to make it approachable in board games. Whereas in card games, leaning towards the implicit combo side is a great way to have more of a sense of discovery. And those are two dials that you can turn within the presentation of your combo pieces that will affect the player experience. Um, and I think that's a really cool takeaway. From the designer perspective, the, a big challenge is balance, right? And I say that not because it's hard to balance games, but I think it's hard to create a game that is perceived as balance when yeah. strong combos exist. <laughs> Both and. Be right? Because if, if you play it one time, somebody's going to win by probably, if it's a game with a lot of combos, by probably putting together some pieces that are going to feel very powerful yeah. in the context of that game. Uh, and I think that's a great thing that exists in games. Innovation, I haven't played much myself, but I know that's a game that's often extolled or Glory to Rome in a similar vein as being this game of like crazy combos and who's going to put together the most oppressive and exploitative combo first in order to win the game. 
And that's great, and it works well if players are going to repeat and play it over and over again. But it's really difficult to bank on that as a designer in such a saturated market. Totally. 100%. Jake, as we get towards the end of the show, what do you think about just using this as an opportunity to talk about some exciting combos from games we've played and why they were memorable for us, maybe? Or just as an opportunity to kind of talk about cool stuff? Sure. Yeah, sounds good. Why don't you go first? Okay, so I'm going to start... It's no secret to longtime listeners, I hope, uh, that Jake and I are a huge fan of Keyforge. Uh, it's actually how Jake and I met. And if you've never heard of Keyforge, it's a co- competitive card game, trading card game, more or less. Uh, not quite, but more or less. Uh, designed by Richard Garfield, the designer of Magic the Gathering. Uh, and we covered it in a standalone episode of episode 17 of Decision Space. So if you want to learn more about it, I definitely... Uh, recommend going and listening to that episode but keyforge is just replete with amazing combos because this is a unique deck game players don't build their own decks they're buying randomly generated decks created by an algorithm so you can have really powerful cards that aren't super likely to be put uh, together in a deck mixed with maybe some less strong cards that the hope is that those things balance out but it leaves room for these really exciting powerful combos um so one that i love jake is there's this card called the sting Uh, Keyforge is all all about trying to collect Amber, this resource that you use to forge keys, and you win when you're the first player to forge three keys. Uh, The Sting says whenever your opponent forges a key, you get all the Amber they spent forging the key. But the cost is you skip your forge a key step. It's kind of like a heist. You get lots of Amber, but then you have to figure out how how you're going to forge keys with that Amber. You can sacrifice the Sting, but that takes a long time. So a really fun combo with the Sting is there's these cards called key cheats, uh, like a card called key charge or another one called Chota Hazri that let you charge uh, forge keys outside the forge a key step. So if you can combine the sting with these two cards, you can use the sting to just steal your opponent's amber over and over, not forge any keys at your forge a key step, but then later on play these key f- uh key cheats that forge cards instantly uh, and basically skip some time and beat your opponent immediately. So I have a deck that allows you to steal all my opponent's armor and then play these key cheats. That's super fun. Yeah, great example. And I think card games is sort of a cheat code for these combos just because they just create such a rich environment of so many different possibilities of combinations just broader than most board games. Every single card is is a rules exception and that just is creates such a dynamic landscape for finding and taking advantage of fun combos and also they usually play really quick so that again i think that might be a design key for satisfying combo games is if, if somebody has like an auto win combo that happens at the 90th minute in a game that's not going to be fun but if, if you're 15 minutes into a game of magic or keyforge so be it like let's shuffle up and go again yeah okay so i'm gonna go in a different angle though away from card games and and talk about a game that i've been loving lately and i think it fits into more of the action chain combos and this is from a designer who's not really thought of as a combo oriented designer but as i think about this topic more and more i think it's actually one of the things that i really appreciate about Steffenfeld games Mm -hmm. and the game I'm talking about is Trajan so Trajan is a game of sort of micro turns really where every turn you're playing this little tiny Moncala game on your own and and moving tiles or moving your little cubes around in your bowls and whichever bowl you stop moving on you just get a one single action 
but there are action tiles that you can collect in the forum spot uh, that match each of the six different actions in the game. So that if you collect one of those, you can spend that tile at the same time that you take an action in order to take a double version of that action and discard the tile. There's also Trajan tiles, which are the tiles that go around the outside of your Moncala bowls. And when you end your turn on the action that you're taking with the matching colors, two colors on that Trajan tile, you get that benefit. And one of those benefits is a little plus two action icon. So if you get the plus two bonus from a Trajan tile and stick it onto you you have to pick one of your actions to put it onto and that means over the course of the game on any subsequent move if you discard the bonus forum tile instead of getting one bonus action so going from one to two you get two bonus actions going from one to three and then all of a sudden in a game that is kind of it's micro turn so it whips around the table quickly but it's sort of plotting in terms of like how much you can advance your game state in any one direction it enables this insane monumental play where you get to do three actions in one area of the board all at once completely changing the board and so it's it's an action chain combo but it feels like one that is so earned you know it's not like this just existed on the board for you to claim like you're calling your shot you're building up to this the whole way and when you get to pull it off it feels amazing that sounds so cool um i completely agree about stefan feld and i think there's a chance he'll talk about other stefan feld games but that is really a thing that i think distinguishes specifically his like euro euro design as having room for combo still Um, yeah it's really cool yeah people call stefan feld point salad guy but you know that's just so reductive obviously i'm a big fan but the more i've been playing a lot of his games on the table recently with sort of a new game group uh that fortunately also has other stefan feld enthusiasts or those willing to kind of explore deeper with me and future stefan feld enthusiasts that's right and maybe at some point we'll do an episode where we cover stefan feld as a designer there's a lot more there than just point salad as sort of a design ethos yeah Okay, I'm, Jake left card games, but I'm going to stick with him, basically, and talk about Blood Rage. Uh, Blood Rage is a, a board game, yes, but it's the combos are driven by cards, so here we are back at cards again. Obviously, that's just, cards are an easy game element to play with with combos. Uh, and I think, Jake, you know, we covered Blood Rage, and we both sort of liked it, and then, or I liked it more than you. You liked it okay, maybe you liked it more than you thought you did when you previously owned it, um, and I liked it more than I expected, but didn't love it. And as time has gone on, you know, one thing that I've come to really appreciate about Blood Rage is that it has a lot of combos in it. You know, I've played a lot of Seven Wonders, another drafting game that I want to have combos, but just doesn't really. Uh, So I think it's a real strength of Blood Rage and it makes that game replayable. So I want to highlight one combo path that I found really fun uh, and kind of zany. And this is like a ship sacrificing strategy that I'm calling ship sacking. Uh, that is possible in Blood Rage. So let me lay it out. Blood Rage, you have like figures that you can put on the map or limited number of ships that you can put out into play. So the strategy works like this. In age one, you get the Sea Serpent card and it's a monster, but it says this monster counts as a ship. So you get access to an additional ship that you can get out on the board. And then in age three, there's a card called Eternal Dragons. This is like a, a cornerstone card. I think sometimes in combos, there's like cornerstone in supporting pieces. This is the cornerstone card. This is the card you built the combo around. 
Eternal Dragons, and it says gain 12 glory when a ship of yours is destroyed. Glory is points. You want points. This card's really clear. It says, okay, if you can destroy your ships, you get more points. So you have the Sea Serpent, which gives you more ships to destroy, pairing with this Eternal Dragons. But that's not all. You're also going to try to get Frigga's Sacrifice, uh, another age three card that says as an action, you may destroy two of your figures, ships count as figures, to raise one of your clan stats by one. So if you have multiple ships out, as maybe one of your Sea Serpents, you use Frigga's Sacrifice on a turn, you sack two of the ships, all of a sudden you gain 24 points. This huge swing, like cascading onto the table. You know, you could score like between 100 and 170 points in Blood Rage or something, you know, maybe even more. Uh, but that's a huge turn. That feels amazing. And then there's this other combo piece that you can get also in H3 that f- supports it even further that is called Frigga's Domain that says you may pay one rage to invade with any of your figures from Valhalla. So this is a card. Valhalla is where pieces go when they've been died or sacri- or destroyed. Uh, so if you sacrificed all your ships, oh wait, Frigga's Domain just lets you go get them back, put them back on the board and fight and then intentionally maybe lose those fights to destroy them again and get even more points. So this is like a fun, funny, sort of very blood ragey, right? I'm trying to destroy my own stuff to get lots of points, um, but it was memorable and it's a fun little stride. Yeah, that's and it's it's a, an implicit combo too, right? In yeah. a game that has other explicit combos to explore. Uh, so it's it's a good case for sort of both existing and both being viable strategies. Yep. What do you you'd say it's viable? I mean, I'm not great at Blood Rage, but it was <laughs> viably a ton of fun. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Okay, so the next one I was going to bring up is another action chain combo. And this is going into the roll and write sphere, uh, but doing that action chain in a way that enables a little bit more creativity than just having sort of printed bonuses on the board, a la Gonshan Clever. And, and, and the game I want to talk about is Rolling Realms. Mm. Very quick disclaimer to say this is published by Stonemeyer Games. Jamie Stegmeyer, the CEO of Stonemeyer Games, is a, a personal friend of mine. But with that out of the way, Rolling Realms is a roll and write game in which you have three different you you have a big stack of realm cards and you'll randomly pick three at the start of the game for all the players to use and then that's your writing board they're like laminate and you write with a dry erase marker right onto the cards and the way that the combos work in this game is really interesting each of the realms have ways to accrue three different resources the resources in this game are hearts coins and pumpkins And then you have a menu of different abilities that you can use that all cost some combination of of those resources. So there's, I think there's three actions that you can do uh, with each uh, resource type that costs, you know, one, two or three different resources, for instance. So what this enables is sort of for you to create action chains that enable you to do more than just your individual turn by you know getting some benefits and then using them so you you can use them to create an extra dice so that you can mark make another mark on a different realm you can use them to double a die and then there's a really interesting one where traditionally in rolling realm you can never mark in one turn on the same realm twice uh so you have to you know pick you roll two dice and you Cross, use those numbers in two different realms. There's a special ability. I, I don't remember which uh, resource type it takes, but it allows you to break that rule and write a second time in a different realm. So there's ways to combine that. I can create an extra dice, 
then I can use that dice in the same realm to, you know, facilitate some other combo. So I like this idea that it has the same type of action changing that exists in other roll and write games, but it allows players to have a little bit more flexibility and creativity in how they dole out those bonuses to themselves. Yeah, that's awesome. And I I do think that it's really interesting, the sort of like that roll and writes in some ways are like built on this action chain system. Like so many of them. It's just, it's cool. Uh, and I, maybe that there's room for that in other types of designs. Yeah, it, it's like a natural fit. Fit, right? Yeah. Like obviously Yahtzee doesn't have it. Yeah. But it does feel like more and more as this space becomes developed, it's just something that works so well. Pretty naturally. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I can close this out with two examples. One is... And we'll close out my examples, to be clear. Um, and if you have more you want to add, that's awesome. One is Airland and Sea. This is a, a light card game where I, there's not a ton of cards in the game. I think there's 18, uh, but all the cards are loosely synergistic with many other cards in the deck, which is really fun because there's lots of different combos that you can pull off. They're, they're sort of little combos, but some of them make for really dynamic turns, which I think is really fun when a combo can dramatically reshape a board state in a game that's exciting uh so one is you can play cards face down in air land and sea uh and air land and sea has these three theaters air land and sea and typically you can only play cards to the theater that they're from so like an air card can only go to the air theater but if you played it face down you could play it anywhere uh so there's this card that's called ambush where you could flip up a card uh and then you get to do an effect on that card when it's flipped up so maybe you were you're going to flip up a card called transport that would allow you to move a card from one district to another um so there's just these turns where maybe you play transport face down to a to a district you couldn't normally use ambush to flip it up then you get to move another card which you've like created this interesting like pattern where you play some other big effect that moves it into a arena to to a theater that it wouldn't normally exist and you've stacked together like three different types of cards and totally pivoted where all your power is i think those are fun and memorable and i had a lot of fun in my 15 to 20 plays of this game kind of like unpacking all the little synergies it was dynamic it was fun wanted to mention it yeah i guess i'll conclude mine with uh so i've done two that are sort of interesting takes on action chain uh and i wanted to talk about one sort of augmented synergy combo that exists in in a board game and i, I want to talk about bonfire so this is another steffenfeld game and i mentioned it before with the action chain you get when you uh complete one of the neutral tasks but bonfire also has a whole subsystem of gnome cards and these specialist cards enhance your ability to uh, do something in the game they either allow you to break some rule or you know get an additional benefit when you do some action and i think there's a really fun line of play uh in the base game of bonfire that only gets even wilder when you add in uh the expansion uh the creatures and trees expansion that has to do with using your spirits i don't even and whenever I start talking about this game, I'm just like, what is anything thematically called? But I think it's like the spirits. It's the four, the different colored things that you can add to your board that move around the outside uh, of your paths. And there are some specialist cards that synergize super well with this sort of strategy. There's one that allows you, so normally you can only have one of these spirits on each path but there's a specialist card that allows you to break that rule uh, so that you can have as many as you want on one 
so if you get that early on, then there's it opens up this whole strategic path where you can just accrue as many of those spirits as you can before you start moving them around the board. And then each time you take the action, ideally you're getting four or five different resources uh, with one single action point, which is huge. It's insane. Uh, and then on top of that, there are uh, additional uh, for each colored spirit in the game, of which there are four, there's a specialist card that allows that spirit to take double resources. So if you start combining that together, you could even getting like six or seven resources with one single action as these start moving around your board. And so that's an interesting case of sort of like an augmented synergy that it can keep ramping up and ramping up, right? Like it, it's it's just getting one of two of those, right? It's going to create a nice synergy uh, that gives you this, you know, really good benefit whenever you take that action, right? Synergizing with that, moving the spirits along the path action. But if you really want to hammer it, and this is, becomes even more viable, I found in the uh, game with the expansion added in, it can move sort of from an augmented synergy to, I think, something that would feel more like an exploit. Yeah. Even though I guess not quite because it does, it's not going to like end the game in one move, but once all the pieces come together, you're just going to be getting such incredible value okay, over the course of the game. You talked about one Magic the Gathering combo. So I want to do it just at the very end. I'm sorry. Because what you just said is like, I think it's cool that combos create the potential for like almost infinite in games, right? In board games sometimes. And I think for me, I have this amazing memory of a combo that will just stick with me forever, which is discovering an infinite for the first time. And I think that that's a really important experience when people play games with combos is like in a fighting game or in a card game, the first time you discovered infinite combo, just this loop that you could do forever. So for me, the combo was I opened this pack of uh, this set called Legions back in the day of Magic the Gathering. And I saw this card that was called Wirewood Channeler. It says tap and gain mana equal to the elves that you have in play. And Wirewood Channeler is also an elf. So if you have two elves, you tap him and you gain two mana. Great. Okay. Then later, the set after, I opened another pack of a set called Scourge. And there was this card called Pim Pimmon's Aura, which said uh, it's you enchant a creature with it. And it says pay one uh, island mana and untap the enchanted creature. All of a sudden, my little teenage <laughs> self realized, or maybe 12-year-old self realized, oh my gosh, if I could combine these cards, I could have infinite mana. Um, <laughs> and like, there's infinite, there's so many combos like that in Magic, but it was just really memorable for me and, yeah. a, and a cool thing that I'll always remember. Yeah, and that might be like the best thing about combos at the end of the day is like they create memorable moments, right? Boom. If you play a really tense Euro game or really tense, uh, you know, interactive area control game or whatever you might all come away from the game thinking like that was amazing 10 out of 10 experience we all loved it but there very possibly could be no like one moment that is going to that you're going to remember in three weeks much less a year but pulling off some like extremely like crazy exploitative combo that like i create infinite mana right i'm explaining these this interaction to create infinite mana and then deal 150,000 damage to you with this fireball in magic. Like you might remember that yep. forever, right? And here we are, uh, you know, 18 years later or whatever, yeah. uh, talking about your wirewood channel, channeler yeah. combo. Two decades on. Oh, that's crazy. That's impressive. Yeah. Well, 
To wrap things up, I think that was a great way to close, Jake. And if you enjoyed this episode, please vote for our podcast for best podcast in the Golden Geeks. Again, I just want to highlight it here. I think you can nominate multiple podcasts. Uh, so yeah, if this ten. is the, the first time you listen to Decision Space even and you enjoyed the show, just please, I encourage you, maybe consider voting for us. We'll be back with another episode next week, but we would love to hear your thoughts on all of the things we discussed about combos today in our Discord. Discord's a online, it's sort of like a chat room in your browser that anyone can access. There's a link to it in our show notes. Uh, you can find lots of episodes of Decision Space, just like this one, in our backlog. We try to create our content to be evergreen. So go back, explore, look for games that you have played that you really enjoyed. We might have an episode on them. Uh, and you can discover episodes on our, uh, if you don't want to just scroll through your podcast podcatcher feed on our website at decisionspacepodcast.com in the game index or on the episodes link. Uh, and thank you for another awesome episode of Decision Space, Jake. And let's thank Hembry, as always, for our intro and outro music. Reach out. See you next week. Bye. Bye.